J on the JD, the Daily Journal's legal education podcast. I'm your host, Lyle Moran. I write about law schools for this newspaper, as well as the State Bar of California. The first episode of this semi-regular podcast focused on the healthy rise in law school applications for the coming academic year. This time, we are going to spotlight some new degree options awaiting the influx of law students. In particular, more schools are planning to offer hybrid law degrees that feature significant online learning components. Here in California, Southwestern Law School in Los Angeles will launch a hybrid program in the fall of 2019. That school is ABA accredited, but California accredited schools are getting into the act as well. The Santa Barbara and Ventura Colleges of Law and Monterey College of Law will be starting their hybrid programs later this summer. Schools hope these hybrid programs help them attract students who are seeking flexibility and when they participate in classes and complete their work. Institutions also hope to reach a broader geographic range of aspiring lawyers. I recently spoke with one California law school dean and one East Coast law professor to learn more about hybrid law degrees. First is Jackie Gardina, the Dean of the Santa Barbara and Ventura Colleges of Law. Her California-accredited school, spread over two campuses, is launching a hybrid JD this August. The school also hosted an event last year focused on the future of the law degree that helped birth its hybrid program. Jackie, thanks for speaking with me. Lyle, thank you for having me on. Jackie, can you share what will be the main features of the hybrid degree you're launching in August? Sure. So there's probably uh, three main components. One is that obviously it's partially online and partially on the ground. Uh, Another major component is that we really wanted to uh, incorporate skill-based learning directly into the curriculum. So students are going to be uh, involved in skill learning throughout all of their courses through a flipped classroom model on the weekends. And then we developed alluring skills units so that students will also have the opportunity to develop necessary skills that every new attorney needs. And finally, we have a capstone where students will actually need to show before they graduate that they've developed the necessary knowledge, skills, and values that we hope all new attorneys have when they exit law school. What type of learning will students be doing through the online component? The the online component is going to not be that different from the classroom component. They'll have a lot of interaction with their fellow classmates through discussion posts, but they'll also need to engage with the material through written assignments, quizzes, collaborative work. And so they'll be highly engaged throughout the online portion, uh, and then when they arrive for the residency, they'll have a chance to work with each other directly. You mentioned practical skills will be an integral part of the curriculum. Could you share more about that? Uh, One of the things that we hear a lot about new attorneys is that they don't know how to write well. So what we wanted to make sure we did is not simply create a legal writing course, but actually incorporate legal writing into every single semester. So students will actually have a legal writing problem embedded into every semester in a doctrinal course that they're taking. So by the time they graduate, they would have done eight to ten independent legal writing assignments uh, in addition to the capstone that they'll need to finish their their law school uh, time with. 
during the residency periods, it's not really an opportunity for the faculty to provide new content. Instead, it's an opportunity for the faculty to have the students grapple with real-world problems based on the material that they took in and absorbed over their online learning portion. So the residencies themselves are going to be active learning, skill-based problems. And then the Loring Skills Units, which every semester will have one Loring Skill Unit, the students will be able to engage in the practical skills that are necessary for all new attorneys. They can concentrate on litigation skills. They can concentrate in transactional skills. And we're also going to have some professional development and leadership skill building opportunities as well. So we've infused the curriculum with skill-based learning rather than having it in a elective or in a separate clinic. Will the curriculum, including the skills courses taught, change as new technology impacts how law is practiced? Yeah, I think that's a really important point, Lyle, and it is my intent that we are going to have technology competencies built directly into the curriculum as well. So as we know, legal services have changed dramatically in the 21st century, but most graduates are emerging from what is essentially a 20th century education. So what we want to do is, as part of that skill-based learning, is to infuse the uh, technology of law practice directly into the curriculum as well. So students will do e-discovery on software that they might use when they emerge from practice. Uh, they might do some law practice uh, client management software in their professional development skill building. So we do intend to actually infuse the curriculum, not just with basic skills, but with the new technology skills that every attorney needs now. You said there will be a capstone course at the end of the program. Can you describe what that course will look like? So it's, it's important for us to know that the students are not just ready to pass the bar exam, but they're actually ready to be an added value to any employer that might be willing to hire them. So what we've done is develop a capstone course that requires the students to show that they've developed the knowledge and especially the skills every new attorney needs. So for example, if a student says, I want to focus on litigation skill building, then the capstone project would really have them move towards or through the phases of a litigation project culminating in a mini trial at the end. And importantly, their skill development and their knowledge is going to be assessed by practicing attorneys who can actually say, yes, this person has the minimal competence that I think a new attorney needs. And I think the most important question we can ask an assessing attorney is, would you hire this new graduate if you had a position open? What role did the Hack the JD event you held last year play in shaping the hybrid program that was ultimately developed? It was critical to the program we developed. I wanted to make sure that we didn't just move our current JD program into a different modality and online, but rather that we address the critiques of legal education. So I brought thought leaders from across the country to the school and asked them to design the next generation JD. And it was through those designs that the colleges of law really mapped out a JD curriculum that was infused with skills 
and that really helps students know and understand the basic competencies of the practice of law. Without the Hack the JD, I think our curriculum would look very different than it does now. Overall, why do you think this hybrid approach will be more beneficial for students than the traditional model? Well, I, there's two things happening. One is at the Colleges of Law's mission has always been to create opportunity and access to the legal profession. So by creating a hybrid program, it does open the door to more individuals, uh, especially those who live a great distance from rural communities to have access to a legal education um, because they can't necessarily go to law school full-time or even go to campus three times a week given the distance from a law school. So the hybrid program is completely consistent with the Colleges of Law mission. Um, in terms of will it result in better outcomes, I think that's an open question. I, research about hybrid versus online versus on ground seems to point to the fact that uh, students engaged in hybrid learning actually have better outcomes than students engaged in just on ground or just online. But what we're going to do is test that hypothesis, and we're actually going to assess um, student outcomes on the hybrid side and student outcomes on the on-site program uh, and really test whether um, students are learning and developing skills better in one program versus the other. And to the extent we find out that we have uh, some difference in those skills or that knowledge, then we will move to improve whichever program is succeeding. How long will it take students to complete the hybrid JD program, and how does that compare to the length of your traditional program? Yeah, the traditional program takes three and a half to four years, depending upon the student's pace. But in our hybrid program, we actually have students who can complete the program in 32 months, so just a little under three years which is in line with a traditional full-time program, or they can finish it in the three and a half years that is more in line with our traditional program. How does the cost of the two programs compare? The cost is exactly the same. We're not changing the tuition or cost per unit for one program over the other. What type of response from potential students has the hybrid program generated so far? The response has really been overwhelming. I, I think that we've got a lot of pent-up demand for a program like this. We've had students seek us out from San Francisco and San Diego as well as local students. We've got um, professionals with PhDs as well as students who have longed for a JD degree but uh, haven't had the opportunity to go in the evenings because of their work schedule. So we've... Uh, it's, it's exceeded expectations in, in terms of the desire for this kind of program. If a prospective student interested in the hybrid program were to tell you they would really like to come to your school, but they would prefer to go to an ABA-accredited institution, how would you respond? I always have a frank conversation with students about the distinction between the ABA and the California accredited law schools. And, and what I tell them is that the ABA law schools certainly provide them with geographic mobility early in their professional career, that the Cal accredited law schools really only provide them the opportunity to sit for the California bar, although that geographic mobility becomes better after they've practiced in the state of California for anywhere from three to five years, depending upon uh, different states' rules. 
So I, I'm honest with students about that limitation. However, in terms of the education that they'll receive, there isn't a distinction as far as I'm concerned between an ABA legal education and a California accredited legal education. Our students are taught by practicing attorneys and judges in the community so they have an immediate access to the legal community and people who know and understand what it means to practice uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. And in addition, a California accredited law school education is often one-half to one-third of the cost of an ABA accredited law school. So to the extent that student debt and opportunities when they emerge from practice are important to them, then I'd say they should look at those differences carefully. Do you think more law schools, both ABA and California accredited, will launch hybrid programs in the years to come? Absolutely. I think we're seeing already that the American Bar Association is, is lifting its limitations on online learning and has already approved more hybrid JD programs. Uh, as we know, Southwestern in LA is going to be starting a program and Monterey here in California as well, colleges of law. So I think we'll see the trend in legal education as it has been in other disciplines move towards hybrid and online learning as more and more of the norm. Jackie, thanks for your time. Thank you, Lyle. Professor Oliver Goodenough of Vermont Law School keeps his eyes on efforts by schools to make changes to their traditional JD offerings. Goodenough serves as the co-director of his law school's Center for Legal Innovation. He is also an expert on the impact new technologies are having on the law. Oliver, thanks for speaking with me. Well, thank you in return. It's, it's an opportunity to talk about an important subject. Oliver, could you share why you think some law schools have started offering hybrid degree programs that include an online component? Well, there are two or three factors, I think, at play there, one of which is that online teaching is coming of age. It is moving from something that was uh, kind of out on the edges of the educational establishment and is now more and more fully established as a way of, of delivering high-quality education. More and more aspects of our lives are moving to an online format of some kind, and, and education is no different. Another factor in it is that it allows a great deal of flexibility for the student. One of the uh, things about uh, higher education is that, that you, in the past, had to show up at a particular point at a particular time and, and, and uh, do that. Uh, the online format allows people much more flexibility, so you can expand out into folks who are working, uh, folks who aren't necessarily ready to, to move to wherever your school is. I'm, I'm up here in Vermont is our home base, and, and we get um, folks uh, in, in our online programs from all over the world. So, so you, can, you can expand your base. You can expand your base into new groups demographically and the new groups uh, geographically. It's a good fit that way. And, and finally, the, the regulatory climate is shifting. Uh, the um, uh, ABA, as, as the accreditor of, of the uh, Juris Doctor, the JD degree, for, for many law schools in America, had been resistant to or had been limiting on the amount of online education that they were willing to allow schools that were accredited by them into their curriculum. Those restrictions have been progressively relaxed over the last few years so that we are now in a position where, where the, the market is ready for it, the educational quality is ready for it, and the regulator has said okay. So, so we see a, a move, uh, by, by, as you point out, by many schools into uh, this kind of, of, of hybrid approach. What role do you think these programs can play in better preparing students for practice? 
the preparation of students requires them to be able to master a number of different aspects about the law. The classic thing was just learning the law, learning what we call the doctrine. Learning, uh, so you have classic doctrinal courses like contracts or corporations or or other other pieces like that. There's also classes that are aimed at teaching you this classic notion of thinking like a lawyer, where where you learn the, the techniques of, of legal analysis. And then finally, uh, in, over the last few decades, there's been an increasing move towards including more and more clinical education. That would be exposing lawyers to, or, or, or law students, to uh, the skills of, of actually representing people and, and going to court and things that are, are that, that piece of the practice. Online teaching is, is uh, particularly well adapted to the, the first two parts, the doctrinal and the thinking like a lawyer, in that it has been, as online teaching has emerged, it has been able to, to drill people well, to give instant feedback. There's a, a set of things that the, uh, the the online lets you do in some ways more effectively than you do in a, in a traditional classroom. So so that that's there. The clinical end is one where it has been harder to get that to move into a an online sort of simulated approach. Again, if you're going to learn how to how to be in a court, it's useful to actually be in the court. But even there, what we see is is the development of better and better simulations uh, to go into the online uh, framework, better and better uh, uh, ways of connecting people with clients in, in a practice um, uh, circumstance, even if it's over some distance. For instance, many, many people, when they're dealing with their lawyers now, deal with them by phone or by, by the Internet or by, by some other form of, of communication that isn't showing up in person. So, in fact, in some ways, teaching people how to effectively uh, represent people through a remote medium is training them for the law practice of the future. So it, it is particularly good at uh, some of the doctrinal pieces. It is getting better at the, the clinical end. What can you share about the online offerings that are available at Vermont Law School? Well, Vermont Law School has been a leader in uh, online legal education. We started out with our programs uh, some years ago not aimed at the JD, because as I mentioned, there were these um, historical restrictions in place, but aimed instead at delivering a couple of our master's degrees. We have, for a long time, uh, combined uh, educating people for the for the bar, the JD exam, with other forms of education around the law and policy. So that if you were, say, going to be a, a policy officer in a government agency or something, you might not need to have a, a full-blown bar admission to do that. But it could be useful to have a legal education, some form of legal education, particularly into the area that you were being active. And our environmental programs have, for some years, uh, been able to deliver these master's degrees online, fully online without restriction, because the, the master's degrees don't come under those those prohibitions that the ABA had had in place. So uh, we have been able over the years to develop some very successful pieces. Now, since they were part of our legal curriculum, those online courses could also be used by our, our students, particularly those in the environmental area, and up to the limits that the ABA had put in place, they they, they began to be done so. Uh, and so we've been able to build out from that into some of the more traditional uh, legal courses, things like uh, evidence and that sort of thing, and uh, therefore have been able to, to, to make them available to our JD, and as a result are moving more and more towards one of these, these fully hybrid programs where a portion will be here at the law school and a portion will be um, through some kind of distance, and perhaps a portion is through some kind of internship and, and live client experience that, that, again, need not necessarily be on our home campus. What has been the student response to the online offerings at Vermont Law School, and what type of student outcomes have these programs produced? 
the the uh, interest from from students has been 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 uh, significant. We have uh, you know we're not replacing our our classic bricks and mortars JD by any means, but but we have been able to to attract a number of students to this kind of hybrid, either a, a more formal hybrid kind of approach, or quite frankly an informal hybrid approach, where as we offer more and more of our regular classes available online, people are saying, look, you know, this semester I'm going to be in New York City. Okay, um, if that will work, that'll work. So, so we find that the, the um, response has been good. I think that at the moment it's, it's somewhat differentiating for us that we are able to offer these kinds of, of online things. I suspect in the future it's just going to be what legal education looks like. Uh, that legal education is going to be off of this menu that includes being on campus for some of it, being off campus for some of it, being on distance for some of it. It's not, not going to, it's going to stop being seen as a strange thing, but just one of the ways you can get your legal education. I understand you were part of the Hack the JD event the Santa Barbara and Ventura Colleges of Law held last year. What ideas came out of that event that you think will help law schools around the country? Uh, the, the Hack the JD event was a lot of fun to be at. There, there were participants from, from legal education, from legal practice, uh, from the judiciary, uh, the regulators. It was, it was a, a wonderful cross-section. And what we were able to do, I think, was to really put a lot of ideas on the table and see how they fit together. So, uh, yes, okay, we've got this idea of uh, we could be off campus for some of, of the education. What does that mean for your bar exam? What does that mean for courts? What does that mean for practice? What does it mean for, for other aspects of your education? So, to me, one of the great things about it was the opportunity to really not just sit in, in the ivory tower of academia and say, oh, gee, wouldn't it be nice to, to do something like this, but to then try it out on a, a group with a wide range of expertise around the different aspects of the law. So I think that what you see coming out of that Hack the Law event is a more rounded and developed approach to what a hybrid can look like. What are your thoughts on the hybrid program that Jackie Gardena and the Santa Barbara and Ventura Colleges of Law developed? I think it's a great, a great approach to things. Uh, you know, the, the, the colleges of law have uh, historically sought out and served first-time lawyers, you know, in their family, uh, uh, folks who are, are, are coming perhaps from non-traditional backgrounds. That is, again, a, a great service to the community, but it's also one that can be assisted by uh, this kind of, of, of distance and online hybrid approach. Cost containment is possible, the ability to take it at flexible times, the ability not to have to move. All of these are useful for just about anyone, but they are particularly useful if you're, if you're working, if you're, if you're coming from a non-traditional background, and I think that, that it's it's particularly suited um, for the mission of the colleges of law. Are there other ways in which you foresee schools offering new degree programs in the coming years? Well, I think you're going to see a movement more and more in schools to some of these non-JD degree approaches. What the JD and the bar admission as, as a kind of a unified package that you had to have in order to be involved in the law as a professional is is under some pressure and erosion, and we are seeing that both here at Vermont and in in sister schools around the, around the country, where where people are increasingly offering a say a degree in in health uh, law and policy uh, that isn't a JD. Well, if you're going to be a, a hospital administrator, you one of the things you really do need to know is have an in-depth knowledge of the regulation of medicine and delivery and hospitals and that that entire segment. 
but you don't need to know about the divorce law. You don't need to know about how to how to bring a, a court case. You know, those those things aren't going to be what you do every day. So a, a, these these uh, more specialized master's degrees, I think, is we're already seeing are, are growing in popularity, and I think we'll we'll, we'll do that uh, more and more. So it won't be that legal education goes away, but what you may see is that that portions of legal education shift into these kind of more specialized master's approaches. Do you foresee online components being a big part of these specialized master's degrees? Absolutely, because with the, one of the things is that, that each school, if, if you look at a, at a school as having to educate broadly to educate a JD, these, these um, masters tend to be a deeper dive. So that, you know, here at Vermont Law School, where in the environmental um, uh, curriculum is, is one of our big specialties, we have, have tens of environmental courses. If you want to get that deep dive into the environment, we're a place that you would want to come. If you're living in, in Santa Barbara, I mean, you know, maybe you can, maybe you can't. But if you've got an online piece, then you can get that deep dive with our specialists in that area through a distance uh, approach. Same is true with intellectual property across the, the way in New Hampshire here. The University of New Hampshire has, a, has an excellent intellectual property program. They're offering courses on, online as well. And so, so if you want that deep dive, you might go to them. There are places that do tax. There are places that do, you, know, you, you name it, and, and, and there's, there's, there's somebody looking to specialize in it. And if you're able to do that uh, over some distance education program that's high quality and, and gives you the same kind of thing you'd get in, in bricks and mortars, that can be a, a, a big plus. So yes, uh, the, the specialized nature of, of those degrees really lend themselves to a, a distance approach. Obviously, a big focus of your work is the law and technology. Do you think law schools could do a better job preparing students to use technology in their practices? Oh, uh, yes. Uh, uh, we could all do a bit better job. Uh, here at Vermont, we've been lucky to have, have uh, several courses um, uh, focusing in on that aspect. Uh, again, uh, the so much of what we do in, in all our lives is moving into a technologically mediated uh, platform of some kind. The law is no exception. It's moving a little slower than some other, other areas, but uh, the ability to productively uh, use technology in the practice and delivery of law is, is only increasing in importance. So we, we again, we've got a, a good set of courses here. We're moving to put a few of those online on the theory that that may be something that, that will draw people uh, from other places. I won't say that, that no other law schools are doing this because I think there are, are probably 15 or 20 around the, the country that are, are giving this significant attention, but that's probably 10% uh, or less of the total. So uh, there's lots and lots of room for the law schools to do it better. Oliver, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. I hope this has been useful. With that, the second episode of the DJ on the JD is complete. Thanks for listening to the newest Daily Journal podcast. Feel free to email me with any feedback or thoughts at lyle underscore moran at dailyjournal.com. I hope you will tune in again next time.